Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. The thing that you can't overlook is how good they are. Mackey and Judd. They've been at the forefront. On 1500 ESPN. Now on Mackey and Judd. Do you believe in past lives? Did we ever really land on the moon? Questions. What are the six degrees that separate you and Kevin Bacon? Of significant importance. All right, questions coming out of the bullpen in like the fifth inning today. So, Andrew Miller like. a big spot for questions. I feel like the starting pitcher was fine. We just, I don't know, maybe the pitch count ran a little high there. Our bullpen's that good? Yeah. Yeah, Well, we got Jason Stark. Lots of pitches. Yeah, Jason Stark in about 30 minutes, and then uh, Todd Furman at noon on gambling things. But uh, let's talk to questions here. What what does he have for us? So we got this email uh, late last night, early this morning at some point. Here it is. It's from Kurt. Came in early this morning. Is there anything as overrated as the Twins lineup? Honest to God, all spring we're told what an imposing bunch they are. Not one player is even close to hitting 300 at this point of the season. We are May 15th right now. So I ask you guys, finish the sentence. The Twins lineup is blank. Depleted. So, you know, for as much as we gripe about Sano, and and we'll get to maybe before Stark, we'll get to some of the manager's comments on Sano. That's a thirty home run bat that you're just taking out of your lineup. So it's depleted. Uh, Byron Buxton is just back in the lineup for a couple days now, and he hasn't gotten it clicking yet, and he hasn't had it clicking in a first half ever in his career. So when you take those guys out of the lineup, what what Buxton gave you in the second half last year. What Jorge Polanco gave you in the second half last year. And he's out for the first 80 games because he took steroids. It's bad. He's cheated. Uh, and Miguel Snow injured. Bad it's Jorge. Just, it's depleted. Uh, Kepler's been good for the most part. Rosario's been good. Joe Maurer's been good. Brian Dozier. Yeah. Uh, not nope. terrible, but the average is down. He's, he hasn't been a train wreck. He's something. I, I heard a stat last night. He's something like one for his last 25 at home, though. Right, so lately he's been, field, he's, he's been a disaster. He's had some problems. But it's mostly depleted. The guys who carried that lineup in the second half, two of them were Buxton and Polanco, mm-hmm. and then Miguel Sano, he's, he's a power threat. I still want more, so I would say that the word that uh, I would use to describe the lineup currently is underwhelming. It's underwhelming because of inconsistencies. You're right, Phil, but the fact is that Dozier should probably be doing more. There should probably be more consistency throughout. Uh, so I would say that they are underwhelming at this point. And because of that, you are uh, you are not scoring enough runs. Not consistently, at least. 
you guys watch the hoops game last night? Mm-hmm. I watched hockey, hoops, and some twins. Ooh, gosh, I was all over I was map. a madman with the clicker last night. Well, it was great. Hopefully, not sure if you guys heard, but I was watching jazz last night. Yeah, for a while. you heard yeah. you were at the Dakota, right? Went to the Dakota. Uh, my name is Lackey. My tickets, yeah. my tickets are here. Arturo Sandoval. Yeah. Hello. My tickets uh, are here. Let me, let me, I'm sorry. My, my monocle's a little foggy from the weather outside. Oh, it's, sports. Sports is so below me. Give me my tickets to the show. <laughs> Lovey, do you want to go sit in the front row with me? <laughs> yes, yes, Mr. Mackey. That's my name, Mr. This, Mackey. This caviar wasn't imported directly from Europe within the last 24 hours. I will not come five you feet. You are not to refer it. to me as Phil, and you are not to look me directly in the eye. Honey, let's go sit down at our seats. It's Dr. Mackey. Doctor. <laughs> sports doctor, but sports is below me. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> sorry. Early in the game last night, there was this. Now, watch as. Green is taking the ball out of bounds right here. A little bit of a shove to the chest. Well, we expected chippiness, but perhaps Harden. not within a minute seven. Minute seven into the game, Draymond Green gives uh, James Harden a little shove as he's trying to grab the ball and uh, go inbound it after the ball goes through the hoop. My question's to you twofold. What were you thinking when Draymond shoved the beard, and what was the beard thinking when Draymond shoved him? Um, I believe that the beard was th- thinking, what the hell? Come on, man. I'm James Harden. I'm a pretty cool cat. Let's not do this stuff. Uh, Dr- Draymond, here's, here's... Cool cat at the Dakota. Here's the problem. Yeah, exactly right. Let's, let's, let's listen to the music. I'm playing hoops, man. Let's turn that sports off. I don't like sports. Um, I believe the issue with Draymond is, is to answer your question, he wasn't thinking. Like, he does just weird stuff, and he's a great player, and I get the intensity sometimes, but, like, at that point, right, what's the point? So I think, to your question, David, the issue with Draymond is there are certain times where he doesn't think. Because why are you doing that then? You might get tossed. You're going to get in trouble for it. It makes no sense. I think it shows you that... He, he, so he's aware of all those things, but he doesn't care because the Warriors know they're going to squash the Rockets. Yeah, maybe. The Rockets might win a couple games, but I'm mostly with the TNT guys. And as far as what the beard was thinking, does anyone ever know what that guy's thinking? Like, has he ever changed his expression in 10 years? Like, when's the last time no. you saw James Harden no, he hasn't. do anything other than, like, a mild fist pump? Yep. Or, like, like he's the most expressionless, monotone player in the NBA. Now, his game is much more than like expressionless and monotone. He jacks threes. He's got these zero step moves and alley oops and stuff. But um, I think it was almost like the two most polar opposite personalities in the NBA. One of them trying to feel the other one out. Like it was like Draymond Green poking James Harden to see if there was any life there, right? Like, hey, are you here? This is the playoffs. This is like way deeper than you yeah. usually go in the, the playoffs. Like, so I just get calm it. Calm down. It was definitely odd. And then later, Chris Paul got into a little kind of shouting thing. He uh, It was in like the second quarter or third quarter, and him and Kevin Durant got into a little something. And Chris Paul, who's just always angry and elbowing people and trash-talking, and he dropped a couple bombs on uh, on Kevin Durant verbally. And then said, just like something like, just play, man. And Kevin Durant's like, yeah, I will. I'll just knock down the next eight shots yeah. I take with a hand in my face. That's cool. 
Let's get back into pretentiousness, shall we? This might be tough because all for Judd anyway, because all he does is watch Law and Order and sports. But tell me the number one. By the way, thing. Law and Order is a little pretentious. A Law and Order marathon? It's a little pretentious. I love the Law and Order marathons. Okay, not SVU. Well, maybe that's the original. The <laughs> not, not, not SVU. SVU. That's that SVU me. crap. And that show's so bad. What's now. wrong with SVU? Oh, that show is awful. About, I don't want to start. I, I I hate that show now. Criminal Intent. Uh, it was decent. I, I wouldn't say it's great. It's decent. And, and SVU with uh, with Stabler back in the day was just fine. But Ken now, Stabler? but now it's become awful. It's unwatchable. Mariska Hargitay is unwatchable. Every show has got to be about her and her blasted adopted kid. It's just <laughs> crap. I can't watch it. That show has gone so far away from the blueprint of what it was supposed to be. Garbage anyway. should have been canceled. Would have canceled it. Tell me the number one thing you are either currently into, used to be into, or wish you were into that the general people around you, public, whoever it is, listeners of the show, would consider to be absolutely pretentious. Um, I don't know if you'll have to tell me if pretentious is the right word here, but my family, <laughs> I come from a deep background of polka music. Scanny's? That's not, a lot that's of not pretentious. That's not pretentious. Like I, I spent. Polka's not pretentious. Okay. You're, I don't think it's pretentious. pretentious. That's not pretentious. I mean, well, jazz would be the like, other thing. Like, I, like, what are you doing? That okay. You, well, here it is. I'll just say it. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> I won a jazz soloist award as a trumpet player in New Orleans my senior year of high school. Now, there's the two kinds of jazz. There's New Orleans Dixieland jazz. And there's the, hey, let's slow it down, play in a cool club, you know, listen to what's in between the notes, man. Well, That's what really matters. If you really want to bait me into pretentiousness, <laughs> there's way more than two kinds of jazz, but but I digress. <laughs> Go ahead. What kind Go of right jazz ahead. were you playing in New this. Orleans? Were you, you know, the, the, New Orleans-style Dixieland st- stuff? We did, so... The award was, it was a soloist award in a jazz ensemble, which is more like big band type sure. music. Okay. And uh, we also had a Dixieland group, group down there that didn't win awards. But uh, the solo came, since you're asking, the solo came as part of a jazz ensemble, which was more of like, you know, Count Basie type music. I don't even, I don't remember the song. But, oh, uh, sure you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. Yeah, you do. Come on. That's BS. <laughs> you now, now you're like, I don't want to go too far with this, so I don't appear to be too special. Maybe it wasn't even in New Orleans. Orleans. Yeah. It could have just been in the Buffalo <laughs> yeah. High School gym. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, man. It was new prank. It yeah. doesn't, we just went on. It doesn't way. mean that much to me. Yeah. By the way, Buffalo High School built the most expensive music auditorium in the history of Minnesota high schools in like 2001 or something. <laughs> or 19, whatever it was, like late 90s. It was definitely yeah. It was like a three million dollar. Wow, three million dollar auditorium. Yeah, nice Phil Mackey auditorium. I was going to say, right. yeah, they should rename it. Is that pretentious enough for you? That's good enough. Sure. Okay. I like the. I don't remember the yeah. exact. I have song. no idea what I song it was. I've got a line somewhere. I've got the recording. I mean, I play it on loop I'm really, when I really walk special. Home. I'm super special, but that's yeah, not. You know, yeah. Honey, uh, Phillips home. Let's go back to the corner tonight, honey. We're going to go to the corner and see some more music. Is guy. that Savion Blanc from the <laughs> no. early 2000s? No, uh, yes, I just sample this. Just, I just sample it. That's all you need to do. Aging for 15 years. So is this current or old? I, I thought you said something I said current. current, former, anything maybe you wish you it's were actually be, into? For me, it's got. If, if you want pretentious, for me, it's got to be the brunch tour, right? 
Now, now it's the wife's doing, but it's incredibly pretentious. And then, and then she Facebooks everything, which also is pretentious. Yeah. So I'm with John on this. It's not my. It's not directly my doing, but I. But I participate. Oh, I love also, your answer. You're just calling your wife pretentious. Yeah, you're beautiful. No, but but it's it's pretentious. But you're speaking like you're using it's just the truth. You're using your personal. But this is more of a, this is a bigger problem that we're like the br- the brunch pretentiousness. Yep. Is oh, out a, of control. Oh, sure, sure. And it applies to... But it applies to us. Yes. So we're we're guilty. But it also applies to the menus. So I enjoy putting avocado on things. I enjoy putting avocado on toast. I'm actually And like eggs. On, but I don't want to pay this. like $16 for avocado toast oh, because it's brunch. I know we have some... We have mimosas, the bottomless, and they have $15. You're literally <laughs> putting champagne and orange juice in a glass for me, okay? It's not $15. And it's probably garbage champagne. <laughs> yes. It doesn't ma- matter after the first three. <laughs> How many brunches do you go month out of football season, Judd? You know, now that we, a couple of years ago, it felt like we went every Sunday. <laughs> now I think we're down to once a month. Ooh, but back. it's an incredibly pretentious activity and we participate. Do you go to multiple so establishments? So I'm guilty. Like th- throughout. Like if you're the gonna, same Sunday. I'm sorry. Or yeah, on, a on one Sunday. No, 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 Just no. One spot. No, we pick one place and move around. But that's probably the most pretentious thing I'm currently doing. And I and I like it. But I know for sure it's not a Judd thing. We need to get Judd an Instagram account just so we can document his brunch on Sundays. <laughs> They're delicious oh and it's God. fun. But oh I my mean, God. did you see what she posted on her Instagram? Like every table, but she, every restaurant. I post everything on Facebook. Oh my God. I said, don't your friends all hate you? Like everything's <laughs> and oh oh, and the worst is this one. The worst is. The food comes, right? And I'm starved because brunch is, brunch is, let's say, 11, 15 or so. And it's very casual. So I'm Take hungry. Take your time. So I'm hungry. The worst is this one. Don't touch it. Wait, wait, wait. Don't touch it. Why? And then I see the phone out to take the picture. I'm like, take a picture of your own damn food. I want to eat my food. I'm starving. And then she so and then she like puts them close together. Multiple angles. Yes. Back away from the table. You're in the frame. Yes. Multiple angles. Your your shadow is covering half the plate. And then and then the worst is she gets done with that and I start to eat right. And I look at her and she's on her phone, Facebook note being typed up before she eats. I'm like, what's the enjoyment of any of this? The whole purpose is to eat. It's an epidemic. It really is. <laughs> oh, now I'm probably going to get in trouble, but I just feel so much better. No brunch for you Sunday. <laughs> oh, I feel better. That's not true. I have a feeling that uh, I have a feeling that there will be a brunch on Sunday. Uh, we, have, we still have question three, right? No, that was that question, was three. That was three. Okay, three. wow, that was great. Ooh, do I right. feel better. Uh, Jason Stark's going to be on the show here before too long. Judd, why don't you talk about prime mortgage lending in a much more respectful way than you just talked about your marriage? I will indeed, and I want to suggest to you, my friends out, out there, that, that you take a look at Prime and Kent McCullough, and that's because Prime isn't about simply selling you on something. They want to earn your trust. In fact, they would rather earn that trust than sell you a loan. Yes, that is right. They would rather earn your trust than sell you a loan. And now you're saying, okay, that sounds great, Judd, but, but what does that mean exactly? It means while Prime would love to have you as a client, they want to meet with you first, they want to sit down, they want to explain their plan to you, and then the decision is up to you. That's because this is about something that is very important. It's very important in life. It's very important in sports. It's very important in business. That's teamwork. It's collaboration. That includes Kent and the folks at Prime internally, and also they carry that to you. 
That's what Prime is about. It's what they believe in. And if you're shopping for a mortgage, you can count on Prime to give you sound advice and straight answers. Prime wants to take some of the mystery out of the mortgage process for you. Did you know Prime may be able to put together a program that can pay your closing costs, not just include them in your loan, but pay them for you? The website, goprimewithkent.com, goprimewithkent.com, goprimewithkent, K-E-N-T.com. Mackie and Judd are back. Gentlemen, the moment has finally arrived. On 1500 ESPN. All right, it was Chuck Mangione, Children of Sanchez. That was the song. (laughs) You knew he knew. Wow. You just blatantly tried to get away with... I don't remember. I'm going to look it up. We're going to have to come back with a bumper later. Say it again. Chuck Mangione, M-A-N-G-O. I-O-N-E. Children of Sanchez was Children the song. of Sanchez. It was a flugelhorn. Chuck Mangione was quality. Good stuff. Yeah, people are calling out on Twitter. Roger said, Phil, quote, I don't remember the single most easily remembered fact from the penultimate event of my jazz band career. Liar. Fess up, Phil. It was Herb Alpert, and it made your aunt weak in the knees. Oh, the Tijuana Brass. Herb and the Tijuana Brass were fantastic. Oh, man. Uh, Hugh chimes in. The most pretentious thing Judd does is constantly remind the listeners how he would ask for his money back if he had to pay to go to blank sporting event, which you never pay to go because you use your press pass. Yeah, I was trying to think uh, pretentious outside of sports. I was trying to think of things I do that are pretentious outside of sports. Wait for the... There's a flugelhorn solo in here somewhere. Oh, yeah, this is... Yeah, go get it. There he is, little Phil Mackey. <laughs> and he couldn't remember this. Oh, I can't remember this part. This no, is uh, like a 14 and a half minute tune. This is oh, yeah. the type of tune that you, jazz, you rack man. up awards yeah. for. Oh, yeah. Where everyone gets a solo, including like five members of the audience that just walk up with a random clarinet. <laughs> Snare drum solo. <laughs> now, now cymbal solo. <laughs> so there it is. Yeah, it's fine. Make fun of the band geek all you want. It's fine. Thanks, Raj. I'm more well-rounded than it took, you. It took Raj's tweet to uh, get you to finally fess up. Yep, that's what we needed from Raj. Um, Jason Stark in like ten minutes. Here is a quote from Paul Molitor about Miguel Sano and his quote-unquote. <laughs> Rehab process from this hamstring injury. Uh, slow moving, yes. How long has he been out? For three weeks now? April 27th, I believe, is when he got hurt. Okay, so it's yeah, so it's been yeah. three weeks. He's been out for three weeks. Yeah. Molitor said, now Sano got out. He moved around, fielded some ground balls yesterday, did some running, I guess, at Target Field. Mm-hmm. Quote from Molitor, he's still a little tentative for me in how he's going about it. In how he's going about it. Like, tentative and oh, how yeah, he's going about yeah, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't, yeah, not happy. Um, I don't know how you would judge the level of effort he's giving on some of the running he's doing. But to me, it's not very close to 100%. I'm going to let me pause the quote there. I read that as Paul Molitor being disappointed in Miguel Sano's effort to like do all that he can. I don't read it as Oh man, he's trying really hard to get back, and he just like isn't physically this, capable of it. I saw this on uh, on Fox last night, uh, and I would say that it's borders between disappointed and resigned. To it's just the same. Yeah, that's what his you know, tone it's not, was. It's not changing. Yes, he continues. The swings fine. He looks pretty good taking grounders, but those hamstrings to practice and try to get ready to compete in a game, and then be able to sustain for nine innings for multiple days consecutive. That's a challenge with that type of injury. 
Snow will continue to work out daily. Molitor hinted that Snow will require a rehab assignment. He's been out for three weeks. He hinted? Has to, he has to go on a rehab assignment. Uh, in order to assure his team that the injury is completely healed. Quote from Molitor, I'm hoping we have a good week here and that we can think about getting him into a game sometime sooner than later, somewhere. But I'll watch him today, tomorrow, and hopefully we get a little bit more. We're trying to decide what's best for him in the club. I think as far as Paul goes, this is as close to complete disgust as he can get. Yeah, because he doesn't dump up. on players. And I think he knows if if Pat's column from a couple weeks ago is right in that you you gotta use some kid gloves. If you go with the if you if you you know, hammer the fist on the desk and you use discipline that you might lose him and he's still an important piece of the organization. Molitor knows that he can't just come out and fillet the guy in the media. Like Garden Hire, there are times where Garden Hire would definitely fillet somebody in the media or make a sarcastic comment. I think Molitor's being really measured with this because he knows if he doesn't use measured words, Miguel Sano might just completely check out, which is the last thing they want. Yeah, but I think that it's, it. judging from his comments, it's safe to say that they have no clue when, when he can come back. They just don't know. And keep in mind, too, when he got hurt, the whole thing was it won't be that that long. And I think they believe that. I think every time they say that, it's garbage. But they sort of believe it because they're like, well, it's not that bad. It's a hamstring, but it's not that bad. And then it progressively, and th- this is at least the second time that it's gone this way, it progressively just gets worse. And so I think the frustration is incredibly high. But to your point, if Pat's column is right, which we believe to be true, then they're also saying, well, what what are we supposed to do here? And to say that, you know, he is, he is not only going to have to go on a rehab assignment, He's going to have to go on one for a while. Mm-hmm. He can't come back after two at bats or yeah. three games, right? Yeah, this is where it's not as much about like, like obviously there are some players who are going to be heavier. Like he's six foot three, six foot four. He's just going to be a heavier guy than a six foot first uh, third baseman who's a little bit more nimble. Like his frame is such that he's always going to be a little bit bigger. But the question is, okay, with what you're given, are you doing everything you can in your life, nutrition wise? Physically, are you doing everything in your life to operate as close to the 100th percentile as you possibly can? Right. And from everything that we're gleaning, the answer is no. Yes. And the twins and that's what they're that. telling you. So this is more than just getting him back from a hamstring. It's about getting him back from a hamstring and then getting his entire way of working and thinking to a point where you don't have to do this every year. By the time, so he's missed three weeks right now. And Molitor's talking about, let's just see him ramp up throughout the rest of the week. So best case scenario, he's ready to go on a rehab assignment on like Saturday or something. Because today's Tuesday. So let's say he works out today, works out tomorrow. Thursday's an off day, so maybe he works out on the off day or something. But like, and it ramps up quick. He goes on a rehab assignment. It's going to be at least three games rehab assignment, maybe even like five games. That's what I was going to say. I think more so like we're five talking games like at this point. Best case scenario, at least another week and a half. And now you've missed... Over a month for your third straight season. Don't, don't you, you get the idea from Paul's comment, too, that they that the doctors have basically said that he should be at this point as far as his workouts go, and he's not yet, too? That that quote to me says the doctors say he's pretty much fine yeah. or just about there, and Miguel runs, and he's still hobbling along, and they're saying, okay, dude, you've been cleared, essentially, and yet you're, you're not close, or you don't look close. Yeah, I think the frustration, rightfully so, just gross. Yep. Uh, let's talk to Jason Stark when we come back. We'll talk about peeing on your hands as a baseball player, and uh, he's got a bunch of fixes for 
Why baseball so has of topics. just like three things, walks, strikeouts, and home runs, and Jason has some fixes for that. He talked to different executives around the league. So Jason Stark and trivia when we come back. Please listen carefully. Mackie and Judd now continue. Let's go, people. Let's get it going. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are talking twins. Now, now with MLB Network contributor and senior baseball writer with The Athletic, Jason Stark. Brought to you by Grundhofer's Old Fashioned Meats. Bring the excitement of Grundhofer's to your next cookout. All right, let's get our guy Jason Stark in here from The Athletic. Uh, we definitely want to dive into, Jason, you talked to a bunch of executives and people around baseball to try and uh, come up with some ways to get more action involved in the game with all these batted balls being lost. But we fell into a rabbit hole like an hour ago. <coughs> Baseball players <laughs> peeing on their hands and how like Moise Salu wasn't the only one. Dave, who are some of the other ones that you found? It was like Moise Salu. Jorge Posada. Rich yeah. Hill talked about it a couple years ago, and now we have the story with Jamison yeah. Tyon, though he claims he was just joking, just joking, not going to let all his teammates yeah. Pee on his open wound. Is this like as a guy who's covered baseball for a long time? Was this? Something, did you ever investigate this? <laughs> By investigate, do you, do you mean that I ever try this? Well, hey, you asked that question. Please, I don't know what that would cure, but I, it would probably cause seventy-five other diseases, wouldn't it? I, I would feel like nobody in the Cubs or uh, or Expos clubhouses would ever want to shake hands with Moise Salu, even after a home right. run. Right, exactly. And, you know, the, the, it's amazing because we're talking about professional athletes and we're talking about billion-dollar franchises who invest millions in the finest medical care and scientific research on everything. And what happens when guys have cuts and blisters? They pee on their hands. They use pickle juice. Mm-hmm. Right? They, they they use a rodeo cream. What? <laughs> yeah, it is weird. <laughs> this is this is just the beauty of of the athlete's mind at work. I think beauty is the best word I can come up with right now. I like it. So what what's the the weirdest thing that you have ever heard of a player doing uh, to try and get well? <laughs> well, isn't there like deer antler spray I, 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 too? I always thought it, I always thought it was the pickle juice thing, and I, and Stan's rodeo cream or rodeo ointment is stuck in my head, but I actually did look into the, the, the pickle juice thing one time It because Nolan Ryan used to do it. Yeah. He was with the Mets and the trainer used to go to a deli in Brooklyn or something and get it for him. And Really? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, like, I, I've eaten a pickle yep. in my day. I've been <laughs> to deli in my day. I, I, was, I could understand why people eat the pickles mm-hmm. but the idea that the pickle the stuff that the pickles sit in could cure anything i i just never quite quite make that one compute seriously <laughs> shoot your shot <laughs> baseball players shoot your shot uh you yeah. you you've brought up uh, a couple times this season you've had some great numbers on batted ball data and for and from one of your recent columns uh that there's going to be 10,000 fewer balls in play. That's the pace run compared to 2009. And you yeah. talk to a bunch of smart people who have different answers. What Share with our audience some of the things that, that, you, uh, that you put in your article and things that maybe could lead to more action or more batted balls, just more excitement in baseball than home runs, strikeouts, and walks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the three big things were 
limiting the shift, we can get into that. Tweaking the strike zone in some way, and we can get into that. And limiting mid-inning pitching changes. It's all really interesting thinking. The, the conversation, the dialogue was very thought-provoking. Like, let's start with the shift. I never thought it was a good idea to tell teams, this is how you must defend people. That's up to you, right? Um, but I never thought about it from this standpoint. It, you know, like, the reason this makes no sense in some, on one level and why people have been questioning me about it all week is if you're trying to get more balls in play, why are you aiming your strategy at something that's designed to deal with balls that are already in play? But here's why. why. What are hitters doing to try to combat the shift? They're trying to hit the ball over the infield, right? So they, they're developing more lift in their swing. Pitchers are combating that by increasingly pitching up in the strike zone. And when these uppercut swings meet this high-octane four-seam heat, you know what you get? Swing, miss, swing, miss. You get some home runs, but you're getting more swings built for the swing and miss and mass than we've ever seen at any point in the history of baseball. And so if you limited shifts in some way, don't you think we'd have more guys get back to trying to hit line drives and ground balls? Because right now, line drives and ground balls are outs more than at any point since baseball's been played. I love that one. I, I think now, so if, if, they, if they took steps uh, to do this, what would you suggest? That, that you couldn't have well, four two, outfielders or what? You know, two ideas that have come up. Or, uh-huh. I mean, one's pretty simple. That basically band shifts totally. That's two infielders on the left of second, two infielders on the right of second, yeah. and they can't, you know, they can't cross the bag. You just draw a line over the bag. That would be the end of shifting. Or, and you know, I heard this from some left-handed hitters, they can't stand the fact that right, they, they hit a ball through the right side, hit a rocket through the right side, and it gets through the infield, and the third baseman standing 50 feet out in right field and throws them out. <laughs> and so their idea was no more infielders in the outfield. Right? Mm-hmm. The infielders have to be in the infield. Mm-hmm. And that, that would still allow some shifting, but it would be less extreme. And some of these balls that were hits for 100 years would be hits again. You could hit a ball up the middle, right? You could, hit a, you could actually hit a line drive over the second baseman, and it would be an out. It'd be a hit. Right now, that's an out. So I, I think both ideas would have an effect. You agree? Yeah. Well, yes. So Judd brought up. I mean, this is we started talking about the the, the elimination of shifts, and at first I was skeptical about it because I'm I'm like you in that if if you're going to strategically defend a player in a certain way that helps your team, like why? But in basketball, in the NBA, you can't play a zone defense, and it's specifically to open up offense, right? right? Right, so, and the big guy can't stand in the lane for 10 minutes. Got to move out of there in three seconds. Right. Absolutely. And even football. You know, seven offensive players have to be in the line of scrimmage, right? Correct. And you, yeah, can't, get a, you can't get a running head start. Tell guys where to stand and where not to stand. Right. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, so on the mid-inning pitching changes, I feel like if you were to put either a limit on how many pitching changes you can make or if you mandated that you, have, you can only come out with an injury, you'd see so many teams with loophole faking injuries or there's ways to get out of that that are really hard to police oh my arm hurts and then the next day like oh my arm feels better or in two days 
So it, it would be really hard, at least with shifts, like you said, Jason, you could just, if you had to draw a line, you'd just draw a line. Um, with, with the pitching changes, it's harder. It, it is harder. Now, it, you know, I talked to John Smoltz for this piece, and it, this was a, a, one of his favorite ideas. And he likes the timeout concept, which I also like. You know, you can decide what constitutes timeout. It can be asking for a replay. It can be a, a visit to the mound. It can be all that stuff. But it, he thinks that you should count a mid-inning pitching change as one of your timeouts. So however many you're going to allow the manager, that would be in there. And, like again, we've mostly talked about this as a way to speed up the game, time of game. His point is it would also really help produce more action. And why is that? Because all these left-handed hitters that face nothing but funky, side-arming, left-handed specialists from the middle of the game on would suddenly get to face a right-handed hitter. Right right now, if you look at the numbers of left-handed hitters against left-handed pitchers, they are ugly, man. 223. Gosh. But if you allow them to face right-handers, it goes up over 250. Their OPS goes up 100 points. Um, this would help... The, it would help the game to do this in many ways. And if you had like, the timeout rule, then you introduce some cool strategic decisions into it, too. I like it. Shrinky, uh, shrinking the strike zone was uh, was the uh, second one. Do you like that idea? Did you like it? Um, I just don't know how to do it. That's mm-hmm. what they keep getting hung up on. Now, two years ago, you know, they did a study and they actually proposed to the players that they would raise the bottom of the zone up to the top of the knee, which is where the rule book says it ought to be. And the reason is, you know, those two inches now uh, that now constitute the bottom of the zone are just filled with outs. They're swings and misses, and they're ground balls into the shift. Or you take that pitch, and the umpire calls it a strike. If you raise the bottom of the zone, their theory was now the new bottom of the zone is an area where hitters could actually lift the ball and do some damage. Um, And there was a lot of logic behind it. You know why it didn't pass, right? Hmm. When it went to the players? Um, Look at, think about players. On base percentage and. Oh, they want to, yeah. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Yeah. So hitters like that idea. Pitchers, not so much. Yeah. I feel like with with, uh, with this piece, and Jason Stark is our guest every week here on Mackie and Judd, talking uh, MLB and various Twins items too, but um, I think you've got two almost parallel potential problems. You've got the balls in play, which has become an issue, but also it kind of dovetails into pace of play in some ways. And right. I don't know, like I the strike zone thing is interesting, where if you shrink the strike zone it definitely would make it easier for hitters to make contact and if pitchers have to put the ball into a keyhole. Uh, but then again, if you if you opened up the strike zone, hitters would be forced to swing more often, and thus that's one of my biggest things, people trying to figure out, well, how do we yeah. shorten the games by a half hour? If you watch a game from 30 years ago or 50 years ago, you might see on average over a nine-inning span 30 to 50 fewer pitches being thrown because hitters were just swinging earlier. Yeah, I mean, we're now at... A uh, higher rate of pitches per plate appearance than we've ever been in the history of baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, you're right, but uh, so th- that is one of the worries about shrinking the strike zone is maybe we just produce more walks. Guys mm-hmm. would take more pitches, but you know, I I didn't get into this in the piece I wrote, but. Expand-
expanding the strike zone for the reasons you discussed it, it was also proposed. And, you know, here's one of the problems with it. The hitters can't cover the current strike zone <laughs> with, with the, the assortment of stuff and the deluge of information that they're being combated with now. I, I, I didn't use this quote either, but I had a pitching coach tell me, I actually am at the stage now where I feel sorry for the hitters because we have so much information. Yeah. Um, he said, we know where, where they hit it and somebody's standing there. And we know where we can throw it that they can't hit it, and we throw it there. <laughs> and so imagine expanding the strike zone. Yeah, they would swing more, but how can they cover that zone? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's time for baseball to I, – I love the column, and I love the fact that we're – just just be open-minded to things, baseball. Baseball is very much cl- right. you know, clutching to a lot of things that were still the same way. I mean, at one point, they did alter the mound height. Um, like, basketball has drawn a new line on the court, and – and so it, it, it is okay to do some, some drastic things once in a while. Jason, let's do trivia. Yep. Let's fire it up here. Alrighty. I love that we have music now. <laughs> Listen, it's pretty good, huh? Yeah, it's uh, it's high production Very of the official. Judge Show here, okay? It really is. You guys spare no expense. You know, I was looking at Shohei Otani's numbers today, and, I, it, you know, he doesn't. He only pitches once a week. You know, he's, like, he's like the Vikings. He plays on Sundays. And he, he's on pace when he does pitch to go 12 and 4 with uh, 170 strikeouts in like 120 innings. Now, I, I just thought I would look at Twins history. And here's what I found. There have only been two Twins starting pitchers who ever had a season with that many wins, 12 or more, mm-hmm. that many strikeouts <laughs> and that high winning percentage. So win 75% of their de- decisions. Oh my so gosh. you guys just have to figure out oh. which two. I, I mean can. Johan Santana, obvious guess for us, right? Yes. Okay, Johan yeah. Santana. I'll go with that. Yeah, Johan did it twice. Okay. Yeah. So we got one Big more. Strikeouts. We got one more in the history of the franchise. Yeah. I know. I so that year where Frankie went lights out, he didn't. I don't think he pitched long enough to get to 170. It was like 150 strikeouts or something. So it's probably not Frankie. Um, the winning percentage thing has me thrown a little bit. Because it's not good enough just yeah, to go well, okay, so, just to go like fourteen and twelve with right. one hundred seventy five strikeouts. <laughs> right, right. Who else had an incredible? So we need a. I, I'm I bad at wins and losses. Was that what actually made the question interesting? You get you think about those great seasons in Twins history where pitchers That's just were, felt like they were unbeatable. That's I was going to say Frankie Frank Frankie V in like is it eighty eight? When was his huge season? Yes. Let's yeah we agree. Okay, Frank Viola. Frank Viola. He, you're really good at this because that's the answer. Yeah. Frankie went 24 and 7, 193 strikeouts. Look at that. We're off to a great yeah. trivia. We're doing okay so yeah. here. Yeah. You're doing well. We're doing okay here. Yeah. Better than. Uh, like, I, I don't think I've ever asked better than last year. anybody that got as high percentage as you guys. Well, last wow. year though, wow, it all evens out in the long term because last year oh, I think we, we struggled. got two we, right all season. We scuffled. So. <laughs> We scuffled in 2017, Jason. Yeah, well, it's a bounce back year. I could make them harder if you want. Wait, you know, no, no, that's fine. You know, we'll, they're great right now. Yes, we'll, do it. No, no, they're Dave's fine like, right now. Do it. Okay, thank you. Hey, what can people or what, what tell people too? They can find you on theathletic.com/slash/mlb, but also uh, stadium platform as well. What do you got on that? Right, I'm on MLB Networks, uh, also on MLB, the MLB Central Show on Friday, and then uh, that'll be bad. 10 a.m., and then I'm on Brian Kenny's MLB Now show, 
It's at 3 p.m. And then my my stadium show, Baseball Stories, this week is Justin Turner. I appreciate him coming off the DL the day the show airs. That was nice of him. Uh, just telling some great stories. Three years old, remembers Kirk Gibson's homer, and then he hit Kirk Gibson's homer last October, if you remember. Yes, he did. Yeah. Three years old. Cool. God, I feel old When are you going to grow a, a beard like, like Turner? That would take a while. <laughs> a lot, that's a lot of hair that, that he used to have. You don't see anybody on TV with that kind of beard, do you? Uh, Probably man, not. I mean, only in the North Pole. Only in the North Pole. Yeah, all right. That's, that's a seasonal job. Yep. Thank you, Jason Stark. Bye, Jason. Always fun, guys. Thanks. Bye. Right. Jason Stark from The Athletic We're doing MLB well. Network. I screwed up the one a couple weeks ago when I guessed, did I guess Camilo Pasquale, and you you got it right. Paul, no, Paul Molitor was the obvious one that we yeah. missed. That was last. That was last week. Yeah, that was embarrassing. Jason um, was being nice to us. We still have Todd Furman at the top of the hour too on how we're all just going to be able to bet our trust funds and four hundred one ks now on an app in like two years. It's going to be Phil Mackey, Judd Zogad. Let's just say that it could cause Molly to start smoking. Mackey and Judd on fifteen hundred ESPN. Kick off your Fourth of July with a race and grilled meat. Registration is now open for Twin Cities in Motion's Red, White, and Boom 5K Relay and Half Marathon. Spend your 4th of July morning running through Minneapolis and ending at Boom Island Park with a post-race grill-out complete with hot dogs, drinks, picnic activities, and more. All the details, you can find them at 1500ESPN.com, keyword events. Thank you, Dave. All right, I'm just doing some... Little math here from our Jason Stark conversation. What's the like? What what what's the average record of most teams right now? How many games have teams played? I'm trying to prove a point here. Uh, Yankees are forty. It's so like forty. Yeah, probably forty-ish games. Yeah, by forty carry the four. We're at the quarter pole. Oh, see what you did there. Um, yeah, forty. I suppose. What what do they say that it, the first forty-five games are? Just sort of like stay afloat and find out who you are, and then the last forty-five, it's the middle games or something. Oh, it's a good quote. It sounds yeah. really, it sounds convincing. But here's the math. So this season, mm-hmm. on average, each team is throwing like a hundred forty to one hundred fifty pitches per game. In nineteen ninety, that number was one twenty-seven. So. If each pitch takes like 30 seconds by the time, it's like probably 25 to 30 seconds by the time it's thrown back, pitcher gets back up, takes the signal. And let's multiply that by both teams. That's just for one team. So let's say it's one, let's say there's an extra 36 pitches being thrown per game this year compared to in 1990 when baseball reference first really started tracking. They've gone back in time and have tried to like fill in pitch counts going back like 30 years. Sure. Um, that's over 1,000 seconds divided by 60. That's an extra 18 minutes right there. So that's an extra, let's say, 18 to 20 minutes, depending on my math. Not because there's extra mound visits or not because yeah. of this or that. It's literally just because there's more pitches being thrown in games now than ever before. And everybody works a count. We yeah. talked before the show, last night's ball game, one nothing. There were 10 base hits in the game. Not exactly a slugfest. Two hours, 53 minutes. Yeah, I charted the counts on Sunday. They're all three and one, three and two. You're lucky if you get a guy to take a swing that puts a ball in play at two and one. You're lucky. Like it used to be, you'd go up there, first pitch fastball, 
you'd hack. Yes. Now, now I'm going to look at that pitch. The Maurer approach that that we joked about ten years back is now the standard approach. Work the count, baby. Let's get Just to that work bullpen. The count, and that used to be Red Sox and Yankees, and now it's yeah. everybody. I mean, there are if you want to go like per plate appearance. This is why Baseball Reference is so awesome. Uh, you've got teams now that are as a team averaging seeing more than four pitches per plate appearance. So each player is getting up there, and it's at least four pitches on average. And like John Hyatt was in here yesterday, we were talking about his old school baseball game video collection where he's like, he's got games from 50 years ago. You can go back and watch. And first of all, the commercial breaks were a minute long instead of two, yeah. two and a half minutes long. Pitchers got the ball. They looked at the sign. They big leg, wind up and throw the ball. And they didn't step off. And because hitters cared more about batting average than on base percentage, like on base percentage is proven to be a much more valuable tool. How often did you get on base? And then, when you do hit the ball, are you hitting for volume, for power, right? So th- that's And that's just strategy. It's just optimal strategy. But back in the day, when it was mostly, have a good batting average, go hit 300, go hit 290, yeah, crew. players were like, all right, I'm, first pitch I see, I'm going to swing at yeah. it, right? First pitch fastball, yeah. in play. I would love for someone to go back and track a game from, like, if there's ever a game on MLB Network from, like, 1970, how often are hitters really going, like, five pitches deep in a count? Oh, I bet it's fairly rare. It has to be. I bet it's rare, yeah. So that's something you can't really fix. It's just Mm-mm. this is this is how hitters are approaching approach their plate now. appearances. <clears throat> exactly. But uh, but but you could fix the fact that the pitcher gets the ball and and, and takes his time. And the the pitch is thrown and then the guy either steps out of the box now or, or puts one foot out and adjusts. You could you could try and fix that. The pitch clock would at least help that. But those are also like little tiny things. Like a pitch a pitch clock only applies for when balls aren't in play, right? Right. So no, it no. Only applies I, to a certain amount of pitches. But my point is, if you probably if, can't apply it when there's a guy on base, really, because like if you rethought this though and said you've got to throw the ball, because that's the pro- that's a part of the problem is all the dawdling. But the biggest problem, like I just outlined, is there's, yeah. there's way more pitches being thrown in games. It just takes. They a long got a time. problem. Uh, Todd Furman from the Bet the Board podcast. He helps us with our pros or Joe's picks during football season, and now he will come on to talk about gambling.